0: Today's reading will be from the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 25, to chapter 13, verse 12, which can be found on page 1106 in the Church Bibles. It's a reading from Acts, chapter 12, verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, they were prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, so, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the council saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord.
1: Thanks, Aaron. Let's keep that open and help us all. Saying goodbye, facing opposition. Nobody likes doing those things. And they would seem like great ways to stop a movement or to kill an idea. If people are split up or that if there's open conflict and opposition, you might expect things to be brought to an end. This passage deals with one question. How does God's word spread? And two things which could stop the spread of God's word, saying goodbye and facing opposition, turn out to be ways in which God's word actually grows. First, verses 1 to 5, God's word spreads as Bible teachers move around. God's word spreads as Bible teachers move around. Verse 1, Uh, there were bible teachers in Antioch now in the church in Antioch there were prophets and teachers Barnabas Simeon called Niger Lucius of Cyrene Manan who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul look at what Luke emphasizes when the bible is taught it brings people together from different backgrounds Barnabas uh, was uh, a Jewish guy uh, from cyprus simeon called niger which was a uh, latin word for black so probably from an african background uh, lucius is from cyrene Menaean um, was upper class uh, he was raised with a roman ruler and a roman ruler uh, who was um, opposed to christianity as well and saul who used to kill christians very diverse people but they're all united And now they're all united together as Bible teachers on the leadership team at this church in Antioch. Verse 2, God's Spirit now splits this group up. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. These church leaders, these Bible teachers, were united together with common purpose, and the Spirit calls two of them to Himself to be separated from everyone else. And so, verse three, the church released Barnabas and Saul. So, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. In other words, Barnabas and Saul are missionaries. Three things about the sort of people who become missionaries um, in this passage verse one they're people who teach the bible in their home church Uh, verse two they're people that the spirit calls to himself and are separated and verse three they are people commissioned and released by the church to move around and these missionaries do two things verse four they move around the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And in verse 5, they continued to do what they were doing in their home church, to teach the Bible, now just in different places. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. synagogue I, 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 I can't believe this. I did that exact same thing at the first service, and it wasn't planned either, in the Jewish synagogues. Okay. John was with them as their help. Steve is looking at me as though, no, 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 he, no, no, no. It was a joke. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't planned. Um, uh, I'm lost, I'm lost. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. I take it that the significance of John being with them was that he was a trainee Bible teacher. So Paul and Barnabas do exactly what they have already been doing in Antioch, but now they do it, in different places god's word spreads as bible teachers move around four things to think about from these verses firstly saying goodbye to bible teachers is normal the spirit calls bible teachers to move around in the coming year we will probably say goodbye to a lot of bible teachers here at Christchurch. John and Ruth, Rob and Alice, Hannah, Amanda, John with a H, Hannah with a H, Katie and me. And because teaching the Bible involves getting to know people and sharing your lives with them, it will always be tough to say goodbye. So saying goodbye to Bible teachers is normal. It's a wrench, but it's a good thing because God's word spreads as Bible teachers move around second thing the spirit calls people to be separated for himself bible teachers don't move around for our own sake uh, so that we can be well traveled and experience the world that would be great if that were the reason or so that we can move somewhere that has better prospects for our kids or that will give us a better lifestyle Uh, we don't move around for the sake of our sending church either so that the church can feel important, because it's sent people all over the place, or so that the church can get a bit of fresh blood on the leadership team once in a while. I'm sure it needs that, though. Uh, we don't even primarily move around for the sake of those people that we aim to serve in different places. Now, the main reason Bible teachers move around is for the Spirit's sake. It is because he calls us to himself. In fact, every Christian Is called by the Spirit for His sake. Some of us are called to move, and some of us are called to stay. Last week we heard that there is a need for some people to move to St. John's Orchard Park, um, uh, which uh, needs more people. They're losing a lot uh, soon. If you go, don't go for your own sake. Don't even primarily go for St. John's sake. Go for God's sake, for the Spirit's sake. And if you stay, don't stay for your own sake. Don't even primarily stay for Christ church's sake. Stay for God's sake, for the Spirit's sake. Actually, you can run that question by every move that you make. What does it mean for the Spirit to call me to himself? Some of us are called to move church. Some of us are called to move job. Some called to move house. Some to move country. If you make any move like that, or if you don't and stay put, for whose sake are you moving or staying? You might move to a different part of Cambridge so that you can reach out to people in that area. You might move to a different part of East Anglia to do that. You might be a Bible teacher who teaches at the front regularly, or you might be a Bible teacher who talks about Jesus over coffee. That's the type of Bible teaching that you do. Why would you stay, or why would you move? For whose sake would you make that decision? Number three, let's be a church that releases Bible teachers to move around. Do pray for John and Ruth and Rob and Alice as they look for church jobs or consider church planting. Pray for us as a family as we gear up to become missionaries in Ethiopia. Pray for that person in your home group with a heart for evangelism who's thinking of moving to St. John's. Pray for that person you know in church who's thinking about moving house uh, to be near a parent so they can serve Christ there and also to share the gospel in that area. Number four, it's not a huge surprise that Paul and Barnabas head to Cyprus. Because that's where Barnabas grew up. Many of us here have a connection to a certain place. Or we have a skill set that particularly fits a certain context. Missionaries are always Bible teachers. But Bible teachers come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. From the, the theological lecturers to the people who talk about Jesus over coffee... Uh, to the engineers who talk about Jesus at work. Is there somewhere that has a particular connection for you? Or a context where you particularly fit? Something to think about. Something we, I guess we have to think about as we look at missionaries being sent. It's right that we ask the question, is there somewhere I should go or not? God's word spreads as Bible teachers move around. I'm sure there's lots of other implications of those verses as well that I haven't thought of, but that the Spirit has brought to your attention as you read those verses. But let's move now on to verses 6 to 12. God's word spreads as Bible teachers confront opposition. God's word spreads as Bible teachers confront opposition. Verse six, the missionaries find a false teacher. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. See how this kind of false teaching makes itself look legitimate. This guy was Jewish, an officially recognized religion, but also a sorcerer, a magos, An astrologer who read the stars. So by mixing and matching things from different religious systems, he could make himself sound very plausible in what he said. Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus or son of Joshua. And he has official recognition from the political ruler of the place. Verse 7, a secular ruler sought to hear the word of God. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. In the original language, we're told that Saul and Barnabas found the false prophet and that the proconsul was seeking to hear the word of God. But then verse 8, the false teacher opposed them. But Elimas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, guy has a lot of names, obviously, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. The same word is used again that Elimas was seeking to turn the proconsul from the faith. And the fact that Luke draws our attention to Elymas' name by giving us its meaning tells us that his role in this story is important. Elimas is the one that Saul and Barnabas found and so he's the focus of this event. This is all about how this man opposes the gospel. How even though someone else sought, was seeking to hear the gospel, he was seeking to avoid the proconsul hearing it. Verse 9. So Saul speaks. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, he has a lot of names as well, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, This event... And his response to it now defines who Saul is moving forward. From now on, in the book of Acts, he will be called Paul. That's pretty significant, isn't it? Verse 10, and Paul says, Stop perverting the ways of God. You're a child of the devil, he says, and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Two things Elimas is doing from what Paul says there. Paul calls him a child of the devil, probably because he's making accusations against Paul and Barnabas. That's always what seems to be associated with the devil or Satan. And that's the way to be an enemy of all that is right. It's a big theme in the Bible to accuse what's right of being wrong. That's how people opposed Jesus. They accused him of being um, uh, of Beelzebub. And he's full of deceit and trickery. So he's causing confusion and not being straightforward. As a result, he is perverting the right ways of the Lord. It's the same word translated turn in verse 8, which says he tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So Elimat is obscuring the gospel. He's trying to prevent The proconsul from hearing the message clearly, to prevent him from weighing it up properly. That means he's both perverting and turning him away. Both those words are the same words in the original. The two things Elimus does are this he accuses the messengers and he confuses the message. Verse 11 so he's punished with a physical sign that symbolizes. His spiritual action now the hand of the Lord is against you you are going to be blind for a time not even able to see the light of the sun immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand see how Luke hints at the connection between the spiritual and the physical the hand of the Lord is against you he is now seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Just as Elimus tried to hide the light of the gospel, so now physical light is hidden from Elimus. Just as Elimus tried to confuse the proconsul, so now he is confused and groping about. In verse 7, the proconsul was seeking to hear the word of the Lord for God to lead him by his spiritual hand. Here, Elimus is seeking, the same word again, someone else to lead him by their physical hand. Verse 12, the effect of this conflict is that the ruler believed. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed that he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. His belief is both because he saw what happened and because of the teaching that he heard. God's word spreads, as Bible teachers confront opposition. Are three things to think about from those verses. First, the very first thing that Paul and Barnabas faced on their very first mission is opposition and conflict. Uh, I, I realised, um, just briefly, so I realised just after the first service when I said that, that it says at the end of chapter 12, 25, When they had finished their mission, so what, explain what I mean by that. That was their mission to take some money to another church to help the poor and then come back again. This is their first mission where they go out to take the gospel to people who've not heard it before. So that's what I mean by their first mission. And the very first thing that happens when they have this very first mission to take the gospel to a new place is opposition and conflict. Opposition and conflict will come And if Elimas is anything to go by, a Jew that uses Jesus' name with established status in the community, then opposition will arise from seemingly respectable and religious places. It shouldn't surprise us that the more we invest in God's mission, the more Satan will target us in opposition. As missionaries go out from Christchurch, that is the time to expect the devil's attacks. As you go out to share the gospel with a friend, that is the time to expect the devil's attack in your life. And so on that note, do please pray for those leaving us in the coming months, for Hannah, Hannah, John and Amanda, for John and Ruth and Rob and Alice, and pray for Katie and me too. Because as we all go out to spread God's word, we can expect opposition and conflict. So pray for strength and godliness and wisdom. And if you know a friend, um, in your uh, home group or something who's thinking about moving to St. John's uh, or who's thinking about moving house to be somewhere in Cambridge where they can share the gospel uh, with other people or they're thinking about moving churches to a different part um, of East Anglia or something like that. If you know about them, pray for them because as they make that move to try and share the gospel in a new place, whether they do it by preaching at the front or they do it by chatting about Jesus over coffee, they can expect attack from the devil so do please pray for people you know who are moving number 2 satan tries to pervert people from the faith by accusing and confusing there's no easier way to undermine the witness of a christian at work by colleagues sling mud at you to try and make something stick i've spoken to some of us um, in this room who felt the pain of that but more than that so often as christians we find ourselves in complicated situations, don't we? Moral grey areas where it's difficult to know what the right thing to do is. Should I go to that wedding or should I go to that family event uh, with a complicated uh, moral issue around it? Or perhaps um, at work or at uni or, or at school, you're talking with someone who has a, h- a hodgepodge of beliefs from here and there. Islam, Christianity, Judaism, are oh, they're all the same really. It's about loving each other, isn't it, someone says. And by doing that, ironically, they're actually contradicting all three religions, and yet they can sound so plausible and wise in today's culture. They confuse the issue by doing that. Actually, Elimus must have sounded like that. His name, Elimus, means wise one. And he must have appeared wise to some people in the way that he found truth in Judaism and truth in paganism, and somehow brought them together in this unique way. Even though in reality they are completely incompatible. You ask a faithful Jew and they'd say there's no space for paganism. You ask a faithful pagan, they'd say no, the Jews are wrong. The gospel faces the same confusion and obfuscation today. And if you don't know what the word obfuscation means, it means exactly that. It means confusing, and uh, and it masks the real meaning. I got a better laugh at the first service, but it's okay, I forgive you. So don't be surprised or discouraged when opposition comes. It's always been the way that Satan works. But ironically, it doesn't work because God's word spreads as Bible teachers confront opposition. Third thing to reflect is this. God's word not only overcame the opposition but the actual confrontation with opposition is what led the proconsul to believe. When you face opposition and have to engage in conflict it's really discouraging and disheartening. It feels like such a waste of time and a distraction from what's really important. But the incredible thing about the gospel is not that it it removes negative things from our lives, but that it redeems them, it transforms them, and uses those negative things positively for good ends. I, I realized this week as I was looking at this passage that I kind of, kind of got that before, but not really got it, and it sort of hit me between the eyes. When that person opposes you in the office, their very opposition to you is the thing the Lord uses to further His His uh, His purposes. It's exactly that sort of opposition that God uses to spread his word. The consul saw what had happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. That is how, that is how in charge our God is. That opposition to him is the thing he uses to further the gospel how, it, it, just you think about that it is, it's just you can't even imagine him being defeated can you how incredible is that it is impossible to imagine anything happening other than what he wants if it's the very opposition to him that he uses steve pointed out to me earlier something i'd not i'd not realized but that actually is the normal shape of the christian life that goes to the very heart of what the gospel is if you think about it Jesus said goodbye and by saying goodbye he then became united intimately with us so he could give us his spirit. Jesus faced the ultimate opposition and by doing that defeated all opposition to him. Saying goodbye and facing opposition are things that he faced and by doing so completely overcame them. That's the shape of the gospel that we have. Saying goodbye, facing opposition. Nobody likes doing those things. And they would seem like great ways to stop a movement or to kill an idea. But look at how God's word spreads. God's word spreads as Bible teachers move around. It could be Bible teachers who preach, it could be Bible teachers who chat about Jesus over coffee with their friends. This year there will be lots of goodbyes at Christ Church, and that is how God spreads the gospel. God's word spreads as Bible teachers confront opposition. We will continue to face people who accuse and confuse. But as we respond appropriately, that is also how God spreads the gospel. Nothing happens that is somehow in the way. It is those very things that seem to be a a, a hurdle that are actually the stepping stones for him furthering his purposes. And because life is full of goodbyes, and because life is full of opposition and conflict, then if those things are how God's word spreads, then one thing we can be absolutely sure of is that it is guaranteed That God's word will continue to grow. The only question that leaves for us is this. How will that affect the way that you live this week?